Hello and welcome to this episode of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Gabriel Berhana coming to you from the ILO in Geneva. And today we will talk about diversity and inclusion at work. Now, promoting and improving diversity and inclusion in the workplace is a crucial initiative that many companies are now taking. But a lot remains to be done in achieving a truly diverse and inclusive workplace. What are myths and realities associated with diversity and inclusion? Are diversity and inclusion more than policies, programs, or head accounts? What's really working in today's world in terms of diversity and inclusion? To answer this question and some more, I'm truly happy to introduce today's guest, Dr. Gillian Shapiro. She's the main author of the ILO report on diversity and inclusion to be published in April 2022. She's also a leading diversity and inclusion expert as she supports global organizations to improve their business performance by increasing employee diversity and inclusion. Uh, she has worked with organizations across sectors and sides, from tech-based small and medium enterprises to the largest law firm. Dr. Shapiro, Gillian, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Glad to be here. Thank you. My second guest is Nikeba King. She's a global head of inclusion and belonging at The Body Shop. Uh, she's a talented and passionate multi-unit retail manager with a vast experience on diversity and inclusion. Nikeba, thank you for joining us today. Yes, really happy to be here and join you as well. Perfect. I think we can go straight to the issue at hand. But before that, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion. Um, but do we have a common understanding of the definitions and what do they mean to you? How would you describe those two words in today's world? Yes, I'm very happy to come in. Do you know, you're absolutely right, uh, Gabriel, because most uh, when I go into most organizations, we all have very different ideas in our head about what diversity and inclusion mean. Um, if I put it most simply, um, diver when we talk about diversity, we're really talking about the mix of employees, uh, the mix of people uh, that we have in the workplace um, from different backgrounds, with different personal characteristics. And when we talk about inclusion, we're talking about the experience of people in the workplace, the extent to which they're um, supported to really uh, flourish, contribute and thrive. So that's the really short answer. If I can expand a little bit, when we're talking about diversity, very often companies um, are focusing on The, per the different personal characteristics of the people they attract and employ, the sorts of characteristics we talk about and, um, and focused on in our report, um, such as age, disability, gender identity, ethnicity, race, religion, sexual orientation, people living with HIV. And um, very often companies are concerned with representation Um, how well different groups are represented and, and where in the organisation they sit. And partly, of course, this is because um, nobody should be uh, experienced discrimination or inequality because of personal characteristics. And we know from a massive wealth of research that when organisations are successful in attracting diversity, that... Um, there can be so many benefits in terms of productivity, profitability, innovation, reputation. 
But diversity is only half of the story. Um, inclusion is absolutely critical. So a company might be successful in attracting a diverse mix of people, but it's inclusion that really influences equality of, of outcomes um, and contribution and, and ability to thrive. And when we talk about inclusion, that's really when we feel included at work, we, we, we need a balance between two things. We need to feel valued for who we are, um, our, our identity, our backgrounds, the skills and experience we bring. And we need to feel a strong sense of, of belonging, meaningful and trusting relationships with, with others around us at work. So whilst diversity can be more quantified, inclusion is more experiential, if you like. It's more relational and it's influenced by three main things. It's influenced by our own behaviour, the behaviour of people around us and the situations we're in. So that might be the cultural, the processes, the policies, the systems where we work. So that's, that's the longer explanation. Yeah, but from a company perspective, Nikki, what would be your views about and do you agree with those definitions? I absolutely do agree with those definitions. Um, you know, thinking about it and listening to Dr. Jillian talk about it from a company perspective, when we think about diversity, it's exactly that. We think about the uh, characteristics, uh, individual traits that are unique to, to people, visible and non-visible. So those protected characteristics that she's mentioned, as well as um, the experiences, our lived experiences and acquired sort of experiences over time. So um, thinking about how people communicate, how people think, um, social class, and then all those visible things that we've mentioned, these distinctions that really make us who we are. Uh, this is how we think about diversity from an organizational perspective and our efforts around diversity, um, to our point, are about improving representation of these groups in our organization in general, but then also at you know, different levels. So all the way through sort of the organizational chart of the, of the, of the company and then inclusion, of course. So we talk about, in the body shop, we talk about inclusion and we talk about belonging. And inclusion, of course, is that experience or extent to which people are supported, to which people thrive, the space that they have to really be authentically themselves and, and bring their authentic selves, uh, however much of, of their authentic selves, of course, that they choose to bring or share without being bound or hindered by any type of archetypes of success, et cetera. So, uh, it's it's without inclusion, then your diversity efforts will be short lived because inclusion, of course, is is what actually motivates and inspires people to stay, to remain in the organization when they feel they can really excel and progress. So I, I am completely aligned with uh, the definitions that have been shared of uh, diversity and inclusion. Thank you. Now. That's very important. I'm very happy that we have an agreement on this, that we are agreeing on the definitions of diversity and see inclusion because of the new report of uh, that the ILO will be publishing this week, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, you know, supporters would say, okay, great insights, but you could have critics uh, who might respond, well, you know, uh, here's a yet another report on the subject. So Gillian, what are the key takeaways from that report? Um, well, do you know, the first thing I would say is there are things 
that I think are different about this report to, there are many, many reports, it's true, on diversity and inclusion. Um, there are some things that I think are importantly different on this one. So many studies on diversity and inclusion really focus on um, high income economy countries, large, often multinational organisations. And in this one, we really sought to make this truly global. So, um, for example, there are 39% of the respondents to the survey work in small and medium sized enterprises. And we have a focus in, in this study on um, people working in, in countries that are, are low to mid or mid to, to upper income economies. And perhaps the other thing that makes it stand out is we're looking at diversity and inclusion um, through the lens of people that work in companies at all different levels. So the survey has respondents, yes, at that senior executive level, but also at management level and at, at staff level as well. So I think there is something different about this report in terms of who's contributed to it. Um, but what are some of the, the key takeaways? Um, I, I think um, one important thing to note is that size of company or income economy level of a country is absolutely no barrier to diversity and inclusion. We saw good examples across across all sectors, across all countries um, uh, and types of organisations, but um, there is much further to go. And in particular, um, there are, uh, for example, more action going on and more uh, higher levels of inclusion within multinational organisations than national and SME, small, medium enterprises. So we have more work to do there. Um, and another key takeaway is action, it should be no surprise, I guess, but action really matters. So we saw when uh, companies take a specific approach to diversity and inclusion, they really see results. So we saw four things that make a, a, a big difference to outcomes on diversity and inclusion. Firstly, when they're really identifiable and embedded in core company uh, strategy and culture. So where there are priority, where diversity and inclusion are, are sufficiently resourced in, in terms of actions and where progress is actively measured, more people feel a greater sense of inclusion. When there's diversity at the top, this also results in higher levels of inclusion. Um, a great example in the report is in companies where there are at least 40% of women in top executive roles, women are 9% more likely to feel included compared to companies with lower levels of women at the top. Um, and th men are 3% more likely. Um, when, they, when companies take actions to embed diversity and inclusion in all aspects of the employee life cycle. Um, that really raises levels of inclusion. And in particular, people um, have much more confidence in the fairness and transparency of promotion decisions, for example. And when there's shared leadership, so of course there needs to be leadership for diversity and inclusion at the top, but when there's leadership and accountability and responsibility at all levels, 
um, we saw in, in, in our study that people were much more likely to report experience of achieving the, the benefits of, of inclusion. So levels of well-being were higher. People were more likely to speak up about better ways of doing things and contribute to, to innovation. So action makes a difference. Inclusion doesn't just happen. Um, and perhaps the other thing I, I would say here is what we were seeing, which was um, perhaps it shouldn't come as a surprise, but what we see is that at the moment in many organisations, inclusion comes as a privilege to those in senior positions. So inclusion is experienced much more highly by people at the top of organisations compared to management and staff levels. And what we know is that there's um, far less diversity at the top but where there is diversity um, higher levels of inclusion is still experienced so with this privilege there's a real risk that companies are missing out on the benefits of diversity and inclusion by really only making it inclusion available um, to those at the very top Thank you. Very important point and very uh, important key takeaways um, indeed. Now, it's very important because both of you have been doing a lot for quite some time on diversity and inclusion. And it would be great to know where we stand today in terms of diversity um, and inclusion um, in the workplace, because the report is mentioning that 25% of those surveys don't feel included. So what have uh, what have been your experiences like and what has marked you the most in this field? Yes, yeah, happy to sort of speak about that. So I'm also really excited to see the report. So haven't haven't seen the report yet, but uh, excited to see it because I think uh, taking the opportunity to continue to measure how we progress is really important. And we know and uh, that while we're making progress, the progress in some ways is painfully slow. So understanding why and continuing to dig in uh, to the areas where there remains disparity and gap is, is critical. So I'm, I am also looking forward to seeing the report. Uh, as far as where we stand today, I think we, we clearly still have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, that stat that 25% of people still don't feel included is concerning. And of course, we want to move from that 25% of people that don't feel included or that they don't belong and continue to minimize and ultimately mitigate that number. So I think, you know, when I think about it organizationally um, and, and look at it, the, the, what I what we think about is, well, who are, who are those people? Who are the 25% of people or whatever the number is that you're looking at organizationally, hopefully you 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 would have that number for your um, your business unit. But who are those people, and what are the communities that are still reporting the lack of inclusion? And are there distinctive differences or trends around how engaged or included people feel according to um, uh, their identity? Right. So, for example, what are women feeling? What are trans women or black women, you you know, you can continue to build your understanding around who those communities are that don't feel included and then work on really getting clear around the why. So is it a lack of representation that's driving that or a lack of representation at certain levels or opportunities, uh, clear, that clear sort of demographic data with engagement indicators and questions overlapped and then curiosity around the why with actionable strategies to really address it. I think, you know, that's sort of the key. 
um, to understanding and, and reacting to, to why we're still seeing sort of these percentages, like 25% of people not feeling included. Now, my personal experiences with my brand have been, um, you know, the body shop for a really long time has championed equity and representation and inclusion. Um, however, my role uh, came into existence in 2020. And from the time that I started working in this role in the body shop um, to today, people generally have been really open to inclusion. They uh, generally express the desire to be inclusive. However, sometimes there's a lack of confidence around how to approach it or maybe a lack of awareness on exactly where to start and, and how to contribute in meaningful ways. So I think um, there's that and, and that sometimes people underestimate the extent to which they can impact the outcome. So helping people understand the how and being really clear about those tangible, measurable ways that we can uh, drive outcome and impact is probably the thing that I would say has been the most, um, mean, it's, it's really marked my experiences and organizationally, I would say for the body shop, it's uh, the thing that's been the most, made the most impact is probably our open hiring program for sure. So, and people, again, have been really open and supportive of that. But to Dr. Jillian's earlier point, it's a clear strategic action that, you know, that we're taking towards inclusion. I'd, I'd really pick up, Nakiba, on um, what you were saying about the, the uh, commitment of people and the enthusiasm of, of people uh, to create change um, and then the, the difficulty in knowing what to do and how to do it. I, I see that a lot as well, and, and particularly, I would say, over um, the last couple of years have seen um, diversity and inclusion move up the agenda. But I think it's really interesting, this, this relationship between um, wanting to make a change and then feeling quite nervous um, about what to do and how to do it. And I don't know about you, but I see quite a lot of, of nervousness associated with diversity and inclusion. And the difficulty there can come that if people are nervous, then and particularly if they're uh, nervous about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing, it can it can often lead to inaction. It can it can lead to no action being taken. But but where does that nervousness come from? Well, I'll tell you where I think it comes from. I think it comes from a lack of understanding of each other. Um, so often, um, do you, is that your experience as well, Nakiba? I think it's a lack of understanding of each other and also just inexperience. You know, so the further that someone is from a community or understanding an issue, the, the, the less confident they feel. And to Dr. Jillian's point, maybe the, the nervousness is it's well-intentioned nervousness almost because it's a nervousness about being offensive or doing the wrong thing. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the, the difficulties around diversity and inclusion is absolutely we, we need leadership um, from the top. It's like any other change, we need leadership from the top. But the difficulties for leaders at the top is that they, of course, inevitably have lots of blind spots. Um, so they may not be from the, the same groups that we're seeking to create greater uh, diversity and inclusion with. And just being senior can create lots of blind spots. So I think one of the, um, the things that I see make a real difference is when people come together across the boundaries that 
often shouldn't, but often do keep them apart. Hierarchy being one, um, but also um, role and background. So that might be gender, that might be race or ethnicity, that might be whatever the the, the different personal personal characteristic uh, differences are. But as soon as we start bringing people together and start problem solving together, um, that's when I see real uh, demonstrable change happen. Um, so that it's not only led from the top, but there's there's much more of a shared approach to change. That brings me also uh, to another question, especially now um, that you know uh, we've been through this difficult two years with COVID-19. Um, now the risk of reversing progress towards diversity and inclusion is, is real. So do you think that the crisis has led to greater awareness or do you think we're going the other way around? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, Nikiba, I'm really interested from your your in-house experience. I mean, I can, um, I think the study was that we've done is really interesting in terms of um, globally what respondents are saying about the impact of of the pandemic, for example. And really, it's showing that it's it's heightened awareness um, that Um, uh, respondents to the survey were saying that their organisations have got a heightened awareness about diversity and inclusion. And I think um, the impact of the pandemic in really highlighting and exposing many of the inequalities in in society and in the workplace, that of course were already there, but the, the, the pandemic has really highlighted them. So that has led to greater awareness Um, in many organisations and and has led to more action. Um, But I think significantly in in our study, two thirds of the respondents said that the pandemic has increased their expectations of their employers to promote diversity and inclusion. So I think globally, we're seeing um, much more of a call for action on diversity and inclusion. Certainly that's what our study would indicate. Yeah, you know, and I think about what it has looked like sort of on the ground in the organization, unfortunately, um, around the workforce, COVID-19 has really disproportionately affected people from underrepresented communities. And many of these communities already facing challenges in the workforce. So the challenge is again, already there, but exacerbated maybe so you know women who hold this disproportionate amount of care responsibilities racial and ethnic minorities in many cases affected and and often that's tied to maybe the industries or where in the oracle chart or type of positions within businesses that people sit so unfortunately really impacted and and yes this has been quite visible because in some ways, just because of, of the nature of COVID and everyone sort of slowing down at the same time so that there's greater collective social awareness of, of what's happening. So I think, yes, awareness has definitely been heightened. And for businesses, we've been directly challenged, you know, so people have been much more aware and also vocal about the disparities which catalyzes change or catalyzes businesses to then need to think and have the responsibility to think and be very um, transparent about what actions you plan to take to ensure that we mitigate some of the disparity. And that and that's not just in the COVID timeline, but in general, right around inclusion and diversity. 
So basically what we understand is that, okay, um, we have reasons to be sort of happy with what's happening around diversity and inclusion, but a lot remains to be done to build a culture of diversity and inclusion across organization enterprise. So I'm asking you, what would you say to businesses that have not yet done so? How would you convince them? Well, there's so much literature out here to convince <laughs> to convince you because there's there are productivity benefits, there are profitability benefits, there's um, there are cultural benefits. So your business culture for sure can and will be so much richer by adding adding and broadening the people that you welcome. I mean that is definitely true. There's so much untapped potential and rich lived experience out here and people that can bring really different and fresh perspectives. And it does, it genuinely accelerates your ability to solve problems or to connect with different audiences or, or honestly just to simply understand things from a different perspective. So it's enriching and not just for the diverse audiences. People often think it's so enriching and beneficial for the diverse communities that you bring in and it does impact those communities. You know, there's tangible impact fiscally for communities. We know it's an equalizer. Um, so that is a great reason. But even beyond that, it's enriching for everyone who then needs to now learn and grow and expand their thinking to accommodate all of these different perspectives and lived experiences and skills and people. So everybody in the organization grows as a result. And, and then there's lots of um, there's lots of studies and in, in literature out here that can quantify that growth and, and really show you how it impacts productivity and profit, et cetera. So it's it's clearly uh, there's clearly business impact, positive business impact as a result. I, I could not say it any better than uh, Nikki. I really couldn't. And I guess I would just encourage uh, any company to ask themselves, you know, in this current environment when, uh, you know, resources are so tight, costs are so high, innovation is so important, can you really afford not to invest in diversity and inclusion? Very good point. Absolutely. A very, very good point. Well, I think that's it for today's episode of the ILO uh, Future of Work podcast and our first episode on uh, diversity and inclusion at work. Uh, thank you, Dr. Jillian Shapiro and Nikeba King. Thank you so much for your insight, for your knowledge and for your expertise. We've learned a lot. We, we appreciate a lot. Uh, we do understand that obviously there's no sustainable future work without diversity and inclusion. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having, having me here. And to our audience, thank you for joining us today. And if you'd like any more information about how to better achieve diversity and inclusion in the workplace, check out our website at voices.ilo.org. And I hope you'll join us again on the next episode of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Thank you.